The following resource is by CBC Mokopani. For more resources like this, check out our website at www.christbaptistmokopani.com. Friends, I've chosen this theme for a number of reasons. And um, firstly, it's very hard for me to do topical preaching because I love expounding the Bible. I want to expound the words of Christ, the words that God has written down for us through His men, through the centuries, through the years. And so when it comes to a topical subject such as the race of sanctification, believe you me when I say I've ripped this text apart to see what it has to say about this very theme. Friends, we don't, we don't inject the theme into the Bible the Bible exposes these things, right? To inject your opinion or a biblical theme into a verse is called eisegesis. It means to put into the Bible and not take out of. I'm sure by now you are aware that we expound the Bible. We preach out of the Bible. And so, having preached on discontentment, having preached on comparison... It's like the Lord just pointed me to this verse to look at the positive, the put on. You know, Paul teaches in Ephesians and in Colossians to put to death the evil things, our sins, uh, the the lust and the passions of our hearts. Amen? And so, how about we look at a bit of positive, the put on. What are we meant to put on when we put off discontentment? We studied that in detail, but... Here's some more. Sanctification is the outworking of your salvation. I want to explain what that word means. Because if you've never heard this word before, friends, I'm sure you are aware of what it entails. You've just never heard it put in this very word. Sanctification is the commitment to obey God's word and to pursue holiness. Sanctification means separation. The New Testament teaches that it's a separation of the believer from evil. And the result of this is obedience to God's Word. Sanctification is our salvation in the present. Are you with me? So, when we come to Christ in salvation, that moment where He declares us righteous... That moment when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are justified. And that means we are declared right before Him. God no longer sees us in our sin. He sees us in His Son and His Son's righteousness. Are you with me? And then at the end of our walk, whether it be this afternoon, whether it be in a week, whether it be when Jesus comes back on the clouds, that moment... Our salvation comes to its, its fullness. And we call that glorification. Glorification. It's when we are made like Jesus Christ. Yes? In John's letter, First John, he says, When He comes, or when we are going to be with Him, we don't know what we are going to be like, but we will be made as He is. And we know that through the teaching of the Gospels, Jesus Christ has a glorified body. Amen. That's how He could walk through a locked door. 
how he could walk through walls. He is glorified, right? And just off topic, you know that Jesus is spirit and before he became a man was spirit, but he chose to take on humanity. Ever since Christ ascended back into heaven, he has had his glorified body and he will always have his glorified body. Here's the other striking thing about that is Jesus will be the only one in heaven with scars. Even though He's glorified. Even though He's glorified. How do we know this? The Gospels. The Gospels show us exactly in the count. After His resurrection, what did He do? He appeared before the apostles. And Thomas, who many would say the doubter, who's actually the most faithful, by the way, who was the only one willing to go and die with Jesus, couldn't believe it. And Jesus said, come. Look, feel, touch, perceive. This is after He was resurrected. This is after He's glorified, right? And there's a song by Casting Crowns that says, The only scars in heaven are in the hands that hold you now. Wow, that's beautiful. Anyway, that was off topic. Coming back to it. Sanctification, therefore, is everything that happens from when we are saved until we are glorified. It's the, it's the progression of becoming more like Christ. Are you with me? Praise the Lord. Let's continue. Sanctification is what gradually separates the people of God from the world. It makes us more and more like Jesus as we live out our obedience. As we say no to sin and the temptation of sin, we grow more and more like Jesus Christ. As I say, it begins at our salvation because Paul in Romans 6 verse 11 says, We are dead to sin, but alive to God. Sanctification, my dear friends, requires a lifetime to complete. Unless you're the thief on the cross. I mean, that was just an instant. Salvation, boom, glorified. Amazing, right? It takes us a lifetime to grow in our holiness before Christ. Remember, this is, not, this is not to say that our works save us. This says we are saved. And because we are saved, we want to obey Him. We want to follow Him. We want to trust Him. That is what sanctification is. Choosing to trust Him. Alright? Um... We have verses such as 2 Corinthians 3.18, which tells us we will become more and more like Christ in this life. But we'll never be sinless. That doctrine that's being taught, that you can achieve perfect righteousness in this world, that is false. That is a lie. John says, he who is without sin is a liar. Furthermore, Colossians chapter 3 verse 10 says, that our sanctification is a daily process. It's when we get up and choose to trust Jesus. When we choose to obey Jesus. That is our sanctification. So I want to move on. You have a summary in mind. Amen. Anyone have a question about or unclarity about sanctification before we move on? You're with me. Good. Let's move. So... We come to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and, and these verses teach 
on the race of sanctification. So I want to read for us and um, we'll expound what these verses teach us. So from verse 24, Paul says the following. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. It's a very powerful verse. And, and Paul gives this strong analogy because before this, he was showing the church the work that he had done by preaching the gospel. So then he comes to this point and he gives the exhortation to the church that you now as a Christian, that you now as the church, you need to be self-disciplined. You need to deny yourself as you pursue Christ in your relationship. Listen, even though we have been baptized by the Holy Spirit, even though the Holy Spirit lives in our hearts right now, and is Lord over our thoughts right now, the daily progress of overcoming sin remains difficult, isn't it? Who just wakes up and is like, I am not going to sin today. Don't feel like it. No one. No one, many of us wake up and the very first thought that we have is a sinful thought. Friends, it is a rigorous task. It's exhausting. It's like training to win a gold medal. If you've done any sport in your life, you'll know that it takes hard work. It takes dedication. It takes commitment. A lot of us would like to sit back and say, but... I trust Jesus. Jesus saved me, so I don't have to do anything. Paul says that's the problem. It's you who run aimlessly. No, no, you need to run for the prize. You need to run to win. Listen, sanctification or growing in holiness or however you want to use those words, it's not just about talking about the Bible. It's not about talking about Jesus or the church. Sanctification is not about your feelings concerning Christ or Christianity or God's word or the church. Sanctification is to run the race with endurance. Sanctification means to obey God's word, especially when you don't want to. Those times where you want to give in to temptation, sanctification says, no, I will resist the temptation. At the end of the day, friends, Paul sums it up in these words. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who is at work in you, right? So I have five keys for us this morning. Five keys to running the Christian race. Now, before we get into each one, I want to stress that a lot of us as Christians, maybe you know someone like this, but they treat Christianity as if it was fire insurance. Yes? It's like literally, I, I, 
I want to believe in Jesus because I don't want to go to hell and burn. Yes? You know people like that? It's a crossless Christianity. They have, they have no desire to serve God. They have no desire to be in the church. But they want to be called Christian. Do you follow? I call that usually people who just want fire insurance. They don't want Christ, but they also don't want hell. They don't want to commit themselves to the Lord and His plan for them, but they also don't want to end up in the eternal lake of fire. But here's the thing. As Christians being declared right by God, it doesn't mean we can just coast into heaven. Have you ever gotten on a bike and ridden downhill with the wind behind your back? It's very nice. It's very relaxing, right? No one ever done that? Get on a bike, bicycle, ride downhill, the wind behind you, you're going quite fast, it's a little scary, but it's good. That is not the Christian race. It is not going downhill. It's not the wind helping. The Christian race, most of the time, is an uphill battle with the wind against you. Not from the front, but from the side, right? Blowing everything into your way. Friends, that's why Paul uses this analogy. He says, we are running the race. Meaning there's daily effort involved. And so, I want to continue then by stating in Colossians 3, verse 1 through 3, Paul says, If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, where He is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. Friends, that's sanctification. To work out your, your, your salvation. It's to choose to have thoughts that honor God. It's to choose to do the things that honor God. That is what sanctification is all about. So number one this morning, we need to look at our attitude in the race. What is your attitude in the race? Paul says in verse 24, he says, um, Do you not know that, that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Friends, I think as Christians, we don't have an attitude about following Christ. I've met some people, and only later on to find out that they believe they're believers. And, I, and I'm like, but you're so miserable. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you should be encouraged by at least this one thing. You have an eternal hope laid up for you in heaven. Listen, you can go study yourselves blue in the face to find a verse, but nowhere does Jesus promise our life on earth will be easy. Not a single place. In fact, He says, because you choose to follow Me, you will endure much suffering. We need to understand that when we say, look, Lord, I want to serve you as, as my Lord and Savior. I, I need to understand that it's going to be hard, but I want to win. I want to win the prize. Much Christians would have this public faith, right? 
meaning you volunteer for every event, you sign up first when the sheet comes around, you always talk about your walk with Christ, and none of that's bad. Please, sign up for the T-roster, sign up for the band, sign up, sign up, right? But a lot of people just want to sign up, because it looks like I love Jesus. It looks like I'm committed to the church. And for what reason? You find out later, their attitude, their motive, it's all about man's praise. It's all about what people say about them, how people perceive them. Oh, did you think the pastor noticed I did this and this today? Why does that matter? Do you think so-and-so noticed what I did today? Why does that matter? It shouldn't matter. You should do this because it's a desire to serve Christ and His people. People who want to please those around them, especially in the church, are called people pleasers. And Christ rebukes that. He says, don't do these things how people would see it, but do it so that your Father in secret will reward you. I'm paraphrasing. I want to continue again. Paul says, run so that all can see you. Yes? Got you. He doesn't say that. What does Paul say? Run so that you can win the prize. That is your focus. That should be your attitude to win the prize. But this is how a lot of, you know, supposed and Lord willing, fellow brothers and sisters would run the race. Stomach in, chest out. Look, I'm running. Can you see me run? I'm running. I'm doing well. Did you notice that? No, that's not. Paul says it's like those who run aimlessly. They're in the race, sometimes in the way, but there they are. He says, no, run with the aim to win the prize. Run to win. I stress this because, listen, sanctification doesn't mean that your salvation depends on what you do. It doesn't depend on your efforts. Once we are saved, we enter the race, right? Someone else enters us. Someone else puts us there. We can't enter by ourselves. Christ enters us into the race. Now that we are entered into the race, Paul says, Run to win. Run to win the prize. But here's how we run. We don't run backwards. We run off track. We decide, no, this route's not nice. Let's, let's run a trail run. Some of us just stop running and, and just start walking. Some of us just become so disheartened and lose all motivation and refuse to press on. A lot of the times what that looks like a lot of the times it's people who have been hurt and would say, you know what? The church, the church hurt me. Again, I want to say to you, brother or sister, I'm sorry that that happened, but Paul didn't say, look around you as you run. Paul also didn't say, try and catch everyone's attention as you run. Paul says, you run. And your aim is to get the prize. Someone will try and trip you. Someone will try and give you the wrong directions but my dear friends you are in the relationship with Jesus Christ someone else can't be in your relationship with Christ on your behalf 
This is your relationship with Jesus. Your relationship with His church. Someone else can't do it for you. Someone else can't be it for you. So again I ask, what is your attitude when it comes to the Christian walk? When it comes to the Christian life? Are you always grumbling and complaining about how things are? With no desire to pray for change or volunteer to be the change? Where are you when it comes to the race? Because I can tell you in the Corinthian context, there were Christians in the church falling back and going to their old drinking parties, going back to prostitutes. That's what you have to understand about the context of Corinth. There was so much temptation outside. Remember, these guys weren't Jews. They're Gentiles. They're pagans. They're involved in pagan worship, in orgies, in all these things. Now they're in the church. And what happens when they get disheartened? What happens when you get disheartened? Your temptation is to not want to pray. It's to not want to go to God's people. It's to actually regress and shy away. And that's exactly what was happening in Corinth. So... Are you running this race to grow in the grace of Christ? Or are you, pers- are you pursuing His word? Or is it wishful thinking? Are you committed to Christ and His people? Or are you going to float around until something else energizes you? Friends, are you here for your relationship with Christ? Or are you here for something else? The Christian is someone who wants to win. And if you want to win the prize, Paul says that you will be devoted. You'll be devoted to God's Word. You'll be devoted to your relationship with Christ. You'll be available to Christ and His people. You'll be involved with those running alongside you, encouraging them, stirring them up. Here's what I can tell you. Paul's, example, Paul's attitude was this. Philippians 3.14 Paul said, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Paul said, I am not going to get caught up and, and be disheartened And have a terrible attitude. No, I am going to pursue with all that I have, leaving behind the baggage, leaving behind the burdens. That brings us to a second point. Your training throughout the race. Your training throughout the race. Friends, Paul says this in verse 25. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Self-control, it's a big word, and it's one many of us don't use as often as we should. Self-control is the key word here. Self-control is a Holy Spirit-empowered ability to say no when you actually want to say yes. Do you see that? You want to say yes to sin, but it's the Holy Spirit who enables us to say no to sin. 
Self-control for the Christian is the spirit-sustained ability to say yes to righteousness. It's a yes and no. No to sin, yes to righteousness. Imagine having to flex two muscles. The one muscle is no. And that muscle you work when you are resisting the things that lure you in. The other muscle is yes. The yes muscle is not only to resist the things that lure you in, but it's also to embrace that which honors God. It's to obey His Word. It's to be available to God's people. Right? Self-control means literally to control your strength. To be able to hold yourself in or to master yourself. It describes having dominion over self. It means you have exercised the ability to control or restrain yourself. Or your impulses. Right? People who have outbursts of anger. There's a lack of self-control in that area. Because if you have mastered self-control, you will master that outburst. Are you with me? In golf, for example, Uncle Keith, who loves to play golf, he has, he's, he has taught me so much, even though we haven't even played once together. If you use too much power in your swing, you will most likely miss the ball entirely. Or, in your effort to overswing, you will hit the ball, but you will chafe the top of the ball, and it will only end up rolling about two or three meters. So you have to have self-control in your swing. Imagine a drummer who just beats the drums as hard as they can. What's going to happen? The drumsticks will eventually splinter. The drums themselves will eventually have holes and be torn. Are you with me? So there is this restraint to hold your power so that you can keep rhythm. Friends, we could put any example into those things. When you put too much power into something that shouldn't have that much power, it'll stop working. It'll explode. It'll wear out. So, we need to have this ability to exercise self-control over all things around us. Listen, you are free in Christ. You are free from the penalty and the power of sin. But even though we are free, we still need to have self-control. Because if we don't have self-control, the potential is likely to lead to spiritual disaster. Are you with me? So self-control is the key word. Now in running, one must obviously complete the race. There's strict training. And so Paul calls the training for the Christian life self-control. It calls for self-denial. We can put it another way. Self-control is crucial to victory. Alternatively, we can say, look, I can just deny things. I can just overlook things. But we aren't willing to deny self. 
We can in a moment say, I don't need these things to lure me into temptation. But in that same moment, we're not willing to deny our ultimate pleasures. Friends, that can easily become legalism. To deny the things on the surface, but deep down in your heart, to welcome those very things. Therefore, it's called that we pursue sacrifice in our self-control. Self-control essentially is self-denial. It means to master your emotions. Now, here's the question. How do you get self-control? You get self-control by walking in the Spirit daily. By daily choosing to trust God's will for your life. That is how you get self-control. To submit your desires to the Holy Spirit working in your heart. That's how you get self-control. If you are by yourself, your own efforts, if you're going to choose to say, this day I will stop smoking. I will stop drinking. I will stop doing these things that dishonor God. Maybe you can get it right for a day. Maybe two days. But soon enough you're going to fall back into that habit. That's why we trust that when we exercise self-control, we are praying that the Holy Spirit will work in and through us. That it won't be our efforts, but Him working through us. That is your exercise in this life. To pursue self-control. To know when to say yes and to know when to say no. Thirdly, there's a motivation for us in this walk. Verse 25 further says, um, They do not receive a perishable wreath, but an imperishable wreath. So there's a motivation. That when you finish the race, there's a prize at the end. There is something you are going to get. You're not running for nothing, right? You're not running for a participation medal. You're running for goal. You're running to win. So every athlete would have the specific goal to win the prize. Now, in ancient Greek, um, for the athletes, this was no small matter. Some victors wouldn't just get this little wreath. It's this little thing you know, that they put on their heads that eventually dries up when you throw it away. But many of them would experience great benefits, you know, perks. Um, they would go back to their home city, and, and for the rest of their lives, maybe they would get free meals, they would get invited to these banquets, they would, you know, have special seats in the theater. So, knowing that if you're going to run this race, and you're going to win this race, you don't just get a little wreath, you know, a crown to say you've won, there are also these benefits, you know, that come with it. That you will be the talk of the town. That you will be the number one name, placard on everyone's mouth until the following year, you know. But, um, in the case for some of them, such as in Corinth, that wasn't the case. In Corinth, you only ran for the wreath. That was it. Because they were so competitive as it is. That's the only thing. And guess what? In a couple of days, that poor thing does not look the same. And so you just start training again for next year. Only to win it again next year. 
So it's easy to think, you know, as Christians, we're running this race, and, you know, we'll get to heaven eventually, so might as well slack off a little bit. It's not like Christ is going to come today. It's not like Christ is going to come tomorrow. So how about I just enjoy a season of slacking off? You know, no longer wake up early because I'm not going to commit to the Word. I'm not going to be as available to God's people. I'll pray when the need is there. Jesus isn't going anywhere. That is, my dear friends, pursuing something that is perishable. That is an idea of having a relationship with Christ. It's not having a relationship with Christ. To have a relationship with Christ is to run with the idea that He is coming. Either today or tomorrow, or in 10 years, Christ is coming, and I want to experience Him on that day as I experience Him today. But if you're going about your Christian life, meh, how do you know you're going to be ready on that day? How do you know if you're even going to be running on that day? So what's the number one prize? The prize for the believer, Paul says in Philippians 3.14, is this, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's our glorification. It's that final moment of salvation. In Matthew 25 verse 21, he puts it this way, that they will enter the joy of their master. You're running to enter the joy of your master. Revelation 19 verse 6 through 9 says, Rejoice and exult. Give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. If you're not running the race, you're not getting an invite. If you haven't given your, 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 your life to Christ and are running this race, there's no invitation to the banquet. There's no Lord's Supper. This is saying that those who run will experience perfect union with Christ. Romans 8.18 For those who are running, they will receive a future glory. John 17.24 says, They will be where He is because He loves us. We're running this race for much more than being called a Christian. Or because we think it's right. We're running the race because we are devoted to Christ and the prize that He has promised us. So my dear friends, if this doesn't motivate you to remain faithful in your Christian walk, don't think that material things will motivate you. If a promise that you will be made eternal is not enough to motivate you to be faithful, then you'll be faithful in nothing. Let's continue. Fourthly, plan your race. You plan your race. Paul says this in verse 26. I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. Sounds silly. Sounds very silly. 
But what Paul gets down to when we study this context, not just as our example, but Paul knew that he had temptations. Just like all of us, there's not a single person in this room that doesn't have temptations. Paul knew there would be temptations in our lives. And not only does he hold himself forth as our example, Paul doesn't say, I'm the great apostle, do what I do. No, no. Paul doesn't just say, you know, do what I say. Paul says, do as I do. He leads by example. By teaching with his lips and his life, his words and his deeds. And he shows us that throughout the epistles. So now he goes on to say, run with a fixed goal in mind. Run and box with purpose. Paul runs with the finish line in view. Listen, friends, to be practical, there are very things that might tempt us to sin. Whether you struggle with lust, whether you, you struggle with a future hope, a lot of people daydream for a better job circumstance. A lot of people day, you know, daydream for a better spouse or children. I'm telling you, friends, those things are sin and they are temptations that, and they are holding you back from, from faithfully running the Christian race. When you experience trauma in your life, and the first thing you do is, is to want to daydream that these things don't happen to you. Or you daydream of a time where life was better. That discontentment is robbing you from running this race. And so Paul says, focus. Whether you focus on the finish line or whatever it may be, have something to help you not be tempted. Guys who struggle with lust and pornography... If you're from this town, then I'm telling you, there are a lot of areas in this town you just can't go to. The media uses ways to advertise certain things, such as the woman's body. So if you struggle with lust, then there's certain shops you just shouldn't go to, to avoid their temptation. You say, oh, that's hard. How do I do that if I need to go buy milk and bread? Go buy milk and bread at a different place. That's one example. There are so many other things. Friends, you know, and it's between you and Christ, you know the things that cause you to stumble. Whether it's films, music, friends. You know the things that influence you and that cause you to stumble. Are you going to choose to keep those things in your race? Or are you like Paul, going to shut them out and push to run the race. Because friends, we can't blame it on the things around us. We can't say, yeah, but um, this thing popped up when I opened my computer. Or this thought popped into mind because the song was on the radio. We can't blame our circumstances. We choose whether we give in to temptation or not. So how do you plan your race? What are you doing to avoid temptation? And when you are being tempted, how do you avoid that temptation? How do you overcome that temptation? I think it, it comes down to this. Point number five. Your discipline to the race. In verse uh, 27 he says, 
but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Literally, when he says, I discipline my body, it means I give, I give my body a black eye. I beat my body into submission. It means that he's not merely looking at a physical frame and saying, look, my body has to go through these things, otherwise it doesn't listen to me. But he's saying there are things that I do physically when it comes to my temptations. And I need to know how to keep myself under control. He's referring to a rigid self-denial. John Calvin once said, We must master our body so that, like a wild and unbroken horse, it grows accustomed to obey. What are you going to deny yourself to obey Christ? We all want to indulge. Instead of watching one series, you binge a whole show. Instead of cooking just enough for yourself, you overeat all the meals. Instead of listening to the right thing, you listen to all that trash music. And then you want to say, but why is it so hard to be a Christian when the world is so influential? But you're opening yourself up to that influence. You're choosing, and you're choosing to welcome it into your life. And so most people, including Christians, are slaves to their bodies instead of mastering their bodies. Their bodies tell their minds what to do and not the other way around. Their bodies decide what to eat, when to eat, how much to eat, when to sleep, when to get up, all these things. An athlete, Paul says, cannot allow that. An athlete has to tr tr um, follow training rules and not his body. He runs when he would rather rest. He eats a balanced meal instead of having that chocolate sundae. There's commitment, there's discipline. He goes to bed instead of staying up. He gets up early to train rather than staying in bed. An athlete leads his body. That's what Paul is telling us. An athlete leads his body. He doesn't follow his body. He's not a slave to his body. And so spiritual growth comes on our part when we rely on the Holy Spirit who enables us. Friends, is the spiritual life that you lead dependent on you or God? Do you trust God to work in your mind and in your heart? Or are you saying, no, I am Lord, I am boss, and I will allow God when I allow God? Is that where you are? Listen. Running the race means running to win. Friends, I want to challenge you this day. There will always be things to tempt you to want to either leave the church, to want to maybe be unfaithful to Christ, to want to maybe indulge in sin. Those temptations will always be there in this life. Are you going to choose to run despite those things? Are you going to, by the Spirit, stretch and flex your yes and no muscles? Are you going to stay motivated by keeping your eyes on the heavenly prize? 
Are you going to embrace the biblical plan to plan your race, to overcome temptations? Are you going to run with discipline? Friends, don't let this passive idea of let go and let God confuse you. There's no such thing in the Bible. I'm going to let go and let God. No, God says, work out your salvation. You work it out. You be faithful. You be committed. You trust. Because to say, I'm going to let go and let God, is to say, meh, whatever. Hopefully God catches everything. Hopefully God is there. No, no, no. To work out your salvation means that you choose to trust Him in that moment for that thing. And to continually trust Him after that as a daily exercise. That is what it means to work out your salvation. That is the race of sanctification. And friends, my desire, and I pray that this is your desire, that when you finish this race, when you reach the end, when either we go to be with Him or He comes for us, you will hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. If that's not the desire, I don't know what, run, what race you're running. But because the Christian race is all about being committed to Christ our Lord and Savior. And honoring Him only as He works in and through us. Let me close with prayer. Lord Jesus, on this day, we want to just pray and ask that as we looked at just the example Paul gives us in running the race, <clears throat> Lord, You would help us to be faithful. And that You would help us through the, Your Spirit that You've given us, through the Word You've given us, through fellow brothers and sisters and, and leaders that You've given us. You will help us, O oh Lord, to be faithful in this race. Lord, to pursue You above all things. To trust You not just as our Savior, but as our Lord. The One in control of all things. Lord, when we are tempted to not trust You, when we are tempted to give in to the desire of our sin, perhaps even when we are confused by the influence outside of us, I pray that the one thing that will always help us to have the assurance and help us to be affirmed by Your grace. And that is this, Lord, that You would continue to speak into our hearts, that we would experience the conviction of Your Holy Spirit, Lord. So Christ, help us to run the race with much endurance. We ask this in Your name. Amen.